All right, are you there? Hey, you're back. Okay. Okay, welcome back to the Performance Through Health podcast with me, Martin McFillamy. Today, I have Brian Lay, and uh, aka Primal Breathwork. I think that's his business name. Is also go and find him on social media, Instagram mainly. Now, I wanted to chat with Brian today because he has been trained by uh, Wim Hof himself, uh, Patrick McEwen, Dan Brule, Casper uh, van der Moulen. Uh, even is it the uh, uh, freediver uh, stake that you've even been trained by, or you've been to visit him? Yeah, I did a. Yeah, I did a few things with him as well. That was pretty cool. So you you have been to probably all the you know the the big characters in the field of breath work, and you've really seems like you've expanded your knowledge across a broad horizon and context of different modalities of breath work. So I'm I'm excited to to have a chat with you today. But I thought we'd just start with uh, what got you into breath work, and and where's your journey started with that. Uh, in breath work, um, there's kind of like a short version or a really long version, but uh, I try to kind of fit in between. Um, for me, for breath work, I could probably pinpoint, I mean, it's kind of this thing that's in, in hindsight, I've had a lot of health issues growing up. So in, in hindsight, being a breath work coach, I realized like breathing or lack of proper breathing has been a big issue my whole life so in hindsight it's been a huge part of my life um, but in terms of how I started getting into breath work was probably around um, it was um, during a kind of the just a low period of my life going through a bit of uh, probably kind of say depression anxiety that kind of stuff um, and that was around I think 2015 so I was just going through a really rough time in my life at, at that point um, my relationship, my career, and a whole bunch of other different things were just crashing down. And um, yeah, it just kind of hit this point where I just wasn't feeling good. My health was off. My mental health was definitely off. And um, but I didn't know what was going on. I just kind of felt really low. And um, and one day I found um, I kind of had this epiphany. It was actually after some um, some mushrooms, a mushroom trip. And um, yeah, how that kind of opens everything up. Yep. And um, yeah, so that definitely opened up, like kind of opened up some things in me. And um, I remember one one day I was just, um, kind of, I was in Australia back then. Uh, I was in Hong Kong and went back to Australia for a bit. And I just had had this kind of a moment where it kind of became clear that a lot of suffering that was happening in my life at the time was an internal thing. And I was, you know, I was projecting and blaming on, on everything externally, but for some reason, this mushroom trip kind of internalized everything and turned it inwards and made me realize that I can't really control anything outside of me. Maybe I can do something different, like within. And that's when I kind of, uh, I kind of booked into uh, Vipassana, you know, the 10 day silent, sorry, 12 day silent retreat kind of thing. So you went straight, uh, and, and, hard, you went straight and hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of that kind of person. Like, I don't know what I sign up for. I go into the deep end and then I kind of learn or I, you know, sink or swim kind of thing. Um, and yes, yeah, so, and that absolutely changed my life in terms of, I didn't even know um, what meditation was. I mean, I'd heard about it and for years I was like, yeah, it's probably something I should do. But then when you actually go there, and I did in Australia in the Blue Mountains, and um, completely changed my just my whole mindset about everything. That mm. you know, you are not your thoughts; you are the observer behind the thoughts, and just all those kind of things that you learn, the permanence and all that kind of stuff. And 
you know, when you're kind of just going on autopilot in your life, you're, you're not aware of any of this stuff. And when yeah. this opens up, it's, it's just, it's like you didn't know anything before that. And, um, and after, I don't know if you've done Vipassana before, but they give you this kind of uh, pretty strict kind of routine to follow where you, I mean, during the 10 days, you're meditating for about 10 hours a day. And then after that, it's two days, uh, sorry, two hours a day, every day uh, on your own once you get out of it, which, you know, it's not that practical, to be honest, for a lot of people, especially in people in Hong Kong, you know, even just going to half an hour class for a lot of people is quite challenging. So let alone two hours. Um, so my gradually my practice started, uh, started to go down, down, down. And um, and then that's when a year later I found Wim Hof. And and it's it's funny because I was also after another mushroom trip. <laughs> and uh, I was just kind of, I was just like watching uh, random YouTube videos of my mates after it. And um, that Vice documentary just played randomly and popped up. And okay. um, we were watching it. And, but it just kind of like everything that Wim was talking about, it kind of spoke to me because I grew up always getting sick. I grew up, you know, not very confident. I grew up like uh, just with a poor immune system and allergies and everything. My breathing was always off. Um, and um, yeah, everything you spoke about, I was like, I like that's what I need. That's what I need in my life. And um, I next, like, literally after the that vice documentary, I, I googled him to see like, how I can learn from him. And I think he was already booked out. This before he was really popular, but he was already booked out for like a year or something over really? in Europe. Something yeah, it was a long, long wait list. Um, and then just so happens that a week later, he launches his first Australia uh, retreat camp. And I signed up for that one, and I think it was 2016, sorry. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of my journey of where I started breathwork. Okay. It's uh, through Vipassana meditation, led me to Wim Hof. And that, once again, just completely blew my mind with the whole breathing thing. Yeah. Uh, let alone not even ice cream, then that's another like, crazy thing. And, um, and yeah, just from there, I, I went back to Hong Kong after getting certified. And... Like I have this massive fear of public speaking, and that's probably the biggest one of my biggest fears I've ever ever had in my life. So when I got back to Hong Kong, I had so I've been certified, but all that fear and all that insecurity started to creep in because it's a city of like seven, eight million people, mm. and there was really no one teaching breathwork there, which is surprising, you know, because a lot of breath comes from the east. Um, yeah, that was one and, of the next questions I was going to ask: is the, is the in Hong Kong being like, you know, China has a very traditional ancient culture where there's a lot of traditional medicines and things like that. But I've never really heard of there being, a, uh, I know there's qi, there's energy, there's, there's, there's talk about, mm. but is there a, a breath work or a breathing background in their culture at all? Um, I mean, there is in, in Chinese culture for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, I think if you're reading James Ness's book, there's like seven books in um in the Dallas kind of side, all yeah. on breathing. So like like qigong and qi, a lot of it has got to lot to with breath. Mm. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely kind of a, a background of that, like in the background. But it's really been lost, just like in the West, it's been completely lost to the shame. newer generations. Yeah, like even even like my parents' generation, they have no clue about any of this stuff. They're aware of things like qigong and stuff, but mm. not many people practice it. You still get the elderly in Hong Kong and China, they still practice things like Tai Chi and stuff, which yeah. definitely incorporates elements of breath in it. So it is there is definitely an element of it, but um, just in, just the masses, it's completely 
like no one knows about it. No one really does it. So uh, it was something that was surprising to me. Um, mm. And it was, I actually didn't want to teach. It's kind of it more happened by situation in terms of like, there was no one teaching at the time. I think there was maybe one guy teaching Polytropic, like really small, like niche kind of groups. Um, but other than that, there was no one really bringing it to the masses over there, um, like demystifying it and just kind of bring it out in practical kind of way. And, and um, eventually I started doing like one workshop here, one workshop there, just as a little side thing to kind of give back. Um, and then before I knew it, like my first workshop sold out, second, third, and, you know, it just kept having all this demand and it just snowballed. Uh, and it was just nothing I expected. Like, cause I had my own business, my own, my own work that I was doing and uh, breeding was just going to be something I do maybe once a month, once mm. every couple of weeks, just to give back to the community. Um, but, you know, four or five years later now, and it's, it's taking up the majority of my time. Uh, and as, as, you know, as you mentioned, like I've gone like, you know, when you learn like breathwork originally, you learn like a lot of people get exposed to Wim Hof. Um, but after you learn the whole Wim Hof thing, you realize that Wim Hof is simply one style of breathwork. And there's so many different styles of breathwork out there. And, and that's why I started learning all these other different teachers because I, even though Wim was like an absolute game changer for me, I realized that as great as it is, it's not for everyone. Mm. And it's not for every sign of like every scenario. So there's all these different tools basically. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Like the less I yeah. know, basically. I think I think you, you know the the word you say in demystifying things and understanding them as a practical tool and knowing kind of what they're doing physiologically, but also how people can respond to them and how to figure out whether they're responding to them is a, is a key element of, of breath work that people when they're first learning perhaps don't realize is that because everyone is so different yeah everyone is also physiologically the same so you have to kind of like know the background to go okay well actually i'm going to try this one first like for me for example if someone had high anxiety um, and had issues with mouth breathing already i probably wouldn't Go, okay, let's go and do some Wim Hof breathing because like to, to start off with it, it physiologically or scientifically, it doesn't look like it's going to be right. Yet you might go you know, eight weeks down of nasal breathing and then go actually try Wim Hof and they get more from that. And all of a sudden you realize that actually, no, you can actually do Wim Hof, but you need to be able to change your style of breathing first to get the benefits from that. So I think uh, what you're doing by expanding uh, your knowledge and going to different people is, is allowing you to to have uh, a, a greater capacity of your tool set. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I, I kind of um, I'm quite into. I mean, I love fighting myself, uh, watching MMA, UFC. So I kind of see it, the breathwork thing is MMA, and there's all these different styles under. It. And if you just have one particular style, it might work for a certain amount of time or a certain amount of people. But you know, eventually, you're not going to have the tools to to you know deal with or help with like all the issues that come to from clients and yourself. So, um, yeah, there are all these different tools that all kind of lead you to the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. try to get you back to that, you know, that homeostasis, that optimal kind of state. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, as you said, different tools work with different people. And I think like what you said, the Wim Hof method and, you know, things like rebirth and holotropic, I feel like they're very powerful techniques. They're very, very powerful. And a lot of people dive like for me, I dive into that side of mm. things first. And you kind of like what you say, you forget the basics. 
and you forget like the training wheels, the fundamentals of everything and just simple things like, I remember when I started learning from Wim, it was kind of before it was very structured the way it is now. And it was just kind of Wim, just winging it. Uh, and, you know, they never talked about nasal breathing. Yeah. It was all, you know, the Tumo and the Wim Hof method and all that kind of stuff, the cold. And, you know, I had no clue about nasal breathing. And when I started teaching, I remember I was started teaching like box breathing to clients. And I didn't know the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing back then. So I would get people to breathe, do box breathing through the mouth at the very, very beginning. And, <laughs> uh, and I started realizing like, I, my, my, like I was very lacking in a lot of other different things in breath work and, and, um, and yeah, but you know, it's kind of opened, opened a lot of things up to me. And, mm. um, yeah. now I think now I'm sorry, your head. Yeah. I was going to say, isn't it interesting that, uh, I guess energetically you chose to do something because it felt right. It was, it was like more of an intuition kind of thing that was calling you and that, that energy has been pushed into something that's profound for you now where it's become a part of your life we didn't expect it you hear that often you know joe rogan talks about his po his podcast where he was just doing it because he enjoyed it and he just got called to it and wanted to have chats and now he's got you know 15 million people tuning in like i think people miss that call to adventure you know they, they often block themselves out of it and don't go with what the universe is telling them to do yeah, for sure. And uh, that's, I mean, I'm going through that right now, not being able to go back to Hong Kong. And I'm kind of just floating around right now in Australia. And it's kind of all these lessons are just teaching me just to let go, you know, like mm. all my stuff, everything's still in Hong Kong and I'm still paying rent every month. You know, I wasn't expecting to be stuck like this, but it's just this lesson of just letting go, just letting go and just go with the flow. And and when you kind of realize, like, because um, when you're in flow, obviously, you obviously know this, when you're in flow, you're not in a tense state. You're in a relaxed kind of state. And, and yeah, like the, the universe or whatever you want to call it, it just has this kind of flow. And when you really just let go and go along with it, it, it takes you to some places and some experience in your life that you definitely don't, don't expect. Like, I, had, I didn't even know what breathwork was, like, seven years ago, eight years ago. I didn't even know it existed like let alone being a structure in it now mm. uh, to be honest with you i was working as a respiratory scientist for 10 years and it was only four or five years ago that i even came across you know wim hoff and the likes of patrick McEwen and stuff like that like it's just it's not in the medical field it's like we're looking at the lungs we're looking at uh, disease we're looking at physiology we're looking at what smoking does or cancers and things like that but we're not actually looking what breathing does to people and as I, I, per, I personally discovered it just like you going through uh, my own personal troubles and having uh, not realizing that growing up, I was a really anxious individual. Uh, but that was like a baseline for me. Just in my mind, I was always talking to myself. Uh, I always had like a song going through my head to blank out my thoughts, I guess, like uh, my critical self-talk. I'd always be singing in my mind. But it wasn't until I started practicing yoga and slowed my breathing down really to the point where I was like 10 seconds in, 10 seconds out that I all of a sudden I, I was like, what is this up here? What's going on? Like what? And it's like all of a sudden there was like a, an observer effect of, wow, there's a lot going through my head at the moment. And that was for me, again, it was looking at the internal journey that changed the narrative of me being always uh, exteroceptive out, out, outwards looking to interoceptive and you know, looking inwards uh, introspective even sorry 
and that was a game changer. Um, and similarly with you, I think the the psychedelics do help that, whether that be through a bad trip or a, or a, you know, a positive trip, it is basically showing you your internal state of affairs, but widen the, uh, the, the, the brand that the bandwidth. So you're flooded with a lot more information than you could usually take. Yeah, hundred percent. I think things like psychedelics and breath work and, and or certain breath work types, like it kind of allows you that space where you break out of patterns mm-hmm. or you just get to step outside those loops and patterns or conditioning program that you've grown up with. And just for like, just for those few hours or for that experience, or for that moment, you get a glimpse into what it, what it would be like without it. And I think for a lot of people, that experience alone is, it's enough to give them like hope that there is something else out there and also that there is something else out there. Because like you, before I even came across, like when I came across the meditation and stuff, and I realized that I didn't realize my mind was so busy. And I like when I realized that you can separate your thoughts to, you know, your consciousness that... I'm like, how did I, how did I live for the first like 20 something years of my life? It was just like, I went to Vipassana and the, the first two or three days alone, they just, they focused you like to kind of like to observe your thoughts. And the, at the beginning, I remember the first day or two, I would be thinking for 10 minutes, 15 minutes before I realized I was actually thinking. Oh, wow. And then I, yeah. So, but then, you know, day two, day three, you start to pull it back to two minutes, one minute and you start to, and you become more, more present. But then you realize, like, you know, for most of my life, first 20, 20 something years of my life, I was just in autopilot. You know, it's like, mm. it's like being in the matrix, asleep in the matrix. So, uh, interesting story. So, I, when I broke up with my ex partner, I um, had like quite a bit of social anxiety. And I was a bit kind of like, this is not really me. I'm, I'm usually pretty confident. I don't mind going, uh, extroverted individual, don't mind chatting to people, but I'm a bit concerned about going out at the moment. So, I used the um, the concept of if you've got a fear, just face it full on. You know, go to the go. You'll find the the, the gold at the end of the deepest darkest tunnel, like you know, what jo- Joseph Campbell says. And I went, what is the thing that's going to challenge me the most in terms of social anxiety and looking a fool sort of thing? So I went and did improv classes, comedy improv classes, and during that, I realised that improv is probably one of the best things that you can learn to have to be present in a conversation with someone because you can't you, you if you if, if if say for example if you're playing a game where you've got a, a create a story as a group of 10 people an individual starts the story the next person has to continue the story you can't preload that story by your thoughts in your mind you've got to be truly present listening to know how the story is going going along and one day after after I'd done uh, I'd finished the, the 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 course, I um I went around to my friend's house for for dinner, and I said I've been doing improv, and his wife was really uh, curious to know what I'd been up to, and I was like, well, we can play a game if you want. It's like me and you are just going to make a story on the uh, on the spot now. I'm just going to off the top of my mind just come up with anything that I want to say. Don't worry, you don't need to be embarrassed. You can just you just got to continue the story. So I gave my spiel and then all of a sudden she said something that was completely irrelevant to what I had said. And I said, I stopped there and I said, did you have your thoughts in your head before I even spoke? Were you actually listening to what I said? 
Were you present with me? Can you even remember what the story I was told? And she was like, no, I just made a story up in my head. I was like, how often do you do that? And she said, uh, a lot. And I was like, how often in a conversation are you actually listening to the, what the person is saying or are you judging what they think they're saying in the story in your mind? And she said, I think all the time. And it turns out that she went to see a psychiatrist and she had some serious mental health issues. And that was it, that, that moment there was realizing that she is never present in her life and that she's always li living by the story that she's you know, uh, projecting onto someone or in, into people in the world. And I was like, that is, is a defining moment when you realize that you or someone else is not present and you're not actually living in, you're not living truth, you're not living in the world. It's, it's, uh, mm. it's, it's pretty insane when you have those spur of the moment things. Like for some people, it can cause, uh, you know, you realize that you've got mental health issues for other people. It's like, wow, it's a, it's a breakthrough and it's, it's a relief. But it, it, there's an aspect to it, which is, I guess you could call the awakening. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you know uh, Byron Katie? Have you heard of that author? No, um, she, she has this thing for the four questions where, um, basically, it's, it's a process of self-inquiry. And what I was bringing this up is that she basically what she talks about is like there's a, there's a truth and there's only one truth. And that's, you know, that's what you're implying is like the present moment. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. And everyone, you know, through defense mechanisms or programming or whatever, trauma when they were a kid or whatever, they start to develop all these stories, all these stories to help them survive to make sense of whatever's going on in this world. And the more stories that they start to, they tell to themselves to like, as a survival mechanism, like you start to build up all these stories and you start to become further and further away. You start to stray and drift further away from the truth. And what she says is like the amount of like, uh, the amount of space that you deviate or you, you know, you stray from the truth, that space is your, it's your capacity for suffering. Isn't that how much you can suffer? Yeah. And this process of self-inquiry and meditation and psychedelics is ultimately to try to bring you back to that truth, to that present moment. Like every time I've taken, like, um, you know, had a really like, like deep breathwork session or psychedelics or anything like that, plant medicines, it's, it always comes back down to this one truth and it's always just the present. Mm. And it's, it's always that simple. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, and you, but yeah, I guess I'm a slow learner. I guess telling me the same thing. I don't think that's necessarily the slow learner. I think that's the uh, it's it's well, if if you define that as truth, it's it's the only thing that you can continually learn and have to be continually told. I mean, I'm being on mushrooms and it's laying underneath a tree and looking up a tree, and this tree was just telling me that if if I continue to go the way through my life that I'm going that I'm going to miss the whole of my life because I'm so far ahead of my thoughts. And so like, what's next, what's next, what goals next, what's achieved mm -hmm. next. It's like, you, it's like, you're going to, you're going to go through life. You're going to look back on life and you're going to go, you missed everything because you're always trying to think of what was next to, to do. And it was like mm -hmm. staring, staring up at this tree. It just, and it was just literally, I was just observing the bushes and you know, the, the the branches of the tea just doing that and it was just keeping me present it was, was just keeping me present you know and the message came through it but it was like a profound moment for me to that every time similarly as you i have to come back to that moment of just being present 
I think that's mm-hmm. the, I think I think it's the the I guess a universal lesson that every human learns, and that's probably why it keeps popping up for you. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what breathwork is ultimately about: is bringing back, bring yourself back to the breath, mm-hmm. bring yourself back to the most present thing in your life, which is usually the breath. Um, but yeah, like definitely, like um, like before I got into breathwork, and uh, I was going through that kind of depressed state. Uh, just before that, I was. I was like, uh, I used to go out drinking, partying, and just binge drinking like four or five nights a week, like and heavy drinking as well. And you know, back then it was it was fun, it was you know, but I was destroying my body, and it's kind of what led me to that depressed state. But um, in hindsight, what I realized after doing all this kind of like uh, working on myself is all that drinking that I was doing was actually wasn't because of the drinking; it's actually because I had social anxiety. And social anxiety was why I was drinking. And that drinking was to really, you know, social lubricant, like just getting rid of that anxiety temporarily. And um, and it just made so much sense when I realized that. It's like I didn't have an alcohol problem. I didn't have this kind of issue or that issue. It was anxiety. And ultimately under anxiety, it's like just not being present. Yeah, uh, I can completely relate to that. Looking back at my university days and more so, yeah, the alcohol ha- like helped me to communicate how I felt better and what I wanted better, and but also to mask mask what it was really like the anxiety underneath by allowing myself to have more fun and being it, you know, being less concerned about other people's opinions and things like that. Which is, yeah, a lesson that I've certainly come across as well and had to delve deep into uh, to to do in the work to overcome that. And I think that's what, probably one of the catalysts or one of the, the reasons to why I started a social media a few years ago was because I just wanted to get over the concept of yeah. what people think of me by just going online and just starting recording videos and just talking to, talking to, and any, any, anyone can see me, like, you know, anyone can see me and hear me and judge me, whatever they can comment on it. But by doing that has allowed me to, uh, communicate a lot more effectively and be less socially like awkward, anxious, whatever the word you want to use. Um, <laughs> again, by just going facing straight on onto the, into that, into the fear rather than letting it consume you. Yeah, for sure. Just like learning to lean into it, lean into that stress, lean into that fear and, and use the breathing to do that. And it's, yeah, this is, I mean, I can't remember who said it, but uh, I think it was like the cure, the the cure for the pain is in the pain. Mm. I remember who, who said that directly. But yeah, we spent our whole lives trying to avoid discomfort, trying to avoid pain, suffering, and but when you you know you normally you're so distracted in normal life that you don't realize this. But when you're you know you're still for a moment and you're present, and even though there's so much beauty in this world you realize that there's a lot of suffering, a lot of stress in daily life that we're not aware of. And um, it's just, you know, the Buddha say life is suffering, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, there's stress everywhere and it's just learning to, to acknowledge it and acknowledge that it's always going to be there. It's never going away. And how do you do, how do you, how do you work with it? You know, not work against it, but how do you work mm-hmm. with it? Yeah, I think it was, uh, there was a little clip from one of the Human Lab podcasts, and I think it was all about mindset and how to, to, to develop a, like a, you know, a positive mindset. And they, were, they framed stress in a, in a way that if you have 
what causes stress for most people is having an expectation of an outcome that they want to reach and then being concerned whether they're going to reach that outcome. And then people fear not being able to reach it and often just don't go towards it. The, the, they allow the stress to create an avoidance behavior, which you just said, you know, it's just a, you know, it's just avoiding the suffering of either needing to do the work or suffering from the fact that you can't do the work. But she was saying that if you can frame it in a way that it's excitement that you want to get a goal, then utilize the energy that you receive from the stress rather than uh, allowing it to consume you, then you can f- change the way of the frame of the that the fear, the stress is rather than being avoidance, it's re- it's moving you towards reward. And I think that's what a lot of people need to train their ability to do in terms of utilizing stress. I think it's uh, Robert Sapolsky as well. He talks about stress in terms of it's just priming your body to move. Like it's just energy. It's providing mm-hmm. you with the, the energy. And we, we're so concerned about with the, with the suffering and getting caught up in the suffering that we torment ourselves with the suffering rather than just doing the work and suffering through the work. Yeah, 100%. Like I think we just, we're in a society now where there's just so much options, so much distraction and so much like pills and things that is just ease our comfort straight away. You know, mm-hmm. when you have a bit of a pain or when you have a bit of anything, you know, you go to the doctor and they just give you a pill straight away to just cover up that, that suffering, that pain or whatever it is. But, you know, like, like pain and suffering and all these things, it's your, it's your mind, your body. It's trying to, it's trying to tell you something, you know, it's like, Hey, Martin, hey, Brian, like this, you go look at this, you know, there's something to look at here. And I think a lot of people, when they numb themselves with whatever they go through mm. um, and they don't really feel these things in their body, they're not aware of these things in their body, then, you know, they're not listening to, you know, the most, the wisest thing, which is just, you know, their own intuition and their body, you know, and, and um, I think that's one of the reasons why there's just so many, you know, so many people that are, you know, unhealthy, un- they're not sick or, you know, they're mentally not quite resilient mm-hmm. or strong or, and it's, and I, you know, I know that because I've, I've, I go through that myself um, and it's, and it's just so easy, you know, we just live in this, this time where it's so easy to access these kind of things where, um, but it's kind of like, um, you know, Josh Whitekins, uh, he had this kind of, this book called Art of Learning. And uh, he was, I think he was like a chess prodigy. Uh, and uh, then he became like a Tai Chi champion. And then he became like one of the first Jiu-Jitsu black belts in America under uh, Marcel Garcia. And through all these kind of, uh, all these paths that he took, he realized that the, the path of learning is the same for everything. And then once you understand that path, you know, that initial resistance and struggle, and then it gets a bit easier and easier and easier. And it's the same for everything. And when you realize that, when you realize it's the same kind of template, the same kind of path for, for any sort of um, path to mastery, whether whatever discipline it is, then, you you know, you accept that discomfort as part of the mm. process. Like when you go to the gym and you work out, you know, it's going to burn, you know, it's going to kind of hurt a bit. But you know the result is you're going to rest, recover, eat, and then you're going to grow back stronger and bigger. And you you know it's worth investment. Whereas a lot of people, I think, at the first sign of discomfort or pain, they shy away and they don't really know that that's temporary. That initial hump is temporary and it gets better and better and better. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, yeah, people don't, I think they just don't really realize that and they just try to avoid that discomfort, which is completely normal. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the embarrassment factor for some people. For, for me, I struggle with not being a master uh, almost immediately. So I was went out surfing the other day and uh, I've only surfed maybe four or five times and I couldn't get on the board once. And it was just a pain for me and it's made me just go you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to ever do it again because I just wasn't able to do it like it's it's that it's that fear of failure and making and relating the outcome of that to your identity of that you're a failure when not realizing that everyone has to be the fool before they can be the master so everyone's got to look like an idiot before they can achieve something there and I also liken it to uh, uh, Newton's first law of motion it's like the, the moment of inertia it takes up the most energy it's like you, to actually get moving if you're to try and uh, push a boulder like to actually get that moving takes more energy than it does once it's got momentum uh, once you're in that momentum it's that flow yeah. and you're able to move and you can start to that's where you start to see the progress but getting started takes the the, the the most courage and most strength yeah 100 100 percent. so um a couple of questions uh i want to know what the biggest impact that you're seeing and the people that you've been taking through breath work uh obviously you've taken you've taken breath work from uh your learning to a place where had, no one was doing it what's the what's the big, biggest impact that it's been having on people over in in hong kong uh, the biggest impact, uh, it's, I would say it's kind of shifted over time because at the beginning, it was attracting a certain group of people, like high performers that were really in tune with what was going on in the world, like, you know, like people with PTs or people like uh, physios and people that really, like, because at that time when I started, no one really knew who the moth was, only a handful knew. Uh, so it started like that, and that was more performance-related. But then as time went by, I started noticing that as more and more people came just because they were dealing with health issues or like mental health issues, anxiety, stress, burnout, depression, yeah, even people with suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. Um, and I started kind of to, I started noticing a more uh, kind of going towards the mental health side. Um, and like, it's just like a little kind of little quick part of the story of mine with why I started, why I started teaching is. I kind of gave up on teaching after I got certified by Wim Hof um, just because of that fear of public speaking. And I had mentally kind of given up. I was like, okay, I'm going to just practice for myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and teach. You know, there's probably better people out there to teach them than I am. Um, and then I flew back to Hong Kong and um, I was literally landed that night. The next morning I went out to have, uh, lunch with a few family members and as I was walking back from lunch, I was walking through a shopping mall to get back to my home. And as I was, I just was walking through it at that particular time. And at that moment, I was walking through the mall. This woman jumped off the top and she landed like, uh, I would say maybe 10, 5, 10 meters away from me. And uh, I mean, it was quite traumatizing, obviously. Yeah. And uh, it, took me, it took me a while to get through it. And breath really helped me get through that. So did ayahuasca. But um <laughs> Uh, in that moment, um, like not in that moment, but like, you know, after I kind of like uh, processed it, I kind of just saw it as a kick in the butt, you know, whether mm. it was, whether there was any meaning to it or not, it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Yeah. But to me, it meant something to me in terms of like, it was showing me that, you know, there's people that are suffering from mental health, you know, in Hong Kong. And the whole Wim Hof story is his wife committed suicide because mm. of similar circumstances. And 
and to me it's just kind of like a like a kind of a catalyst for me to to actually go out there and teach and that's when um i guess when you have like like a, a goal that's kind of bigger than yourself then you kind of you don't care about the fear anymore yeah. even though you still have that fear and i guess that's when i started um you know really kind of approaching everyone in hong kong i remember i reached out to about 60 places 70 different places in hong kong and only had maybe like three replies uh, and that was in 2017 i think and then yeah it's just it's just been growing since and and just before i left hong kong i was i started working with uh, kids with children in uh, in the schools there and like my aim going forward if i'm able to go back to hong kong or when i'm able to go back to hong kong is really just to focus on the younger generation and be able to give these tools i want to get into all the schools basically in hong kong mm. is my, my next kind of thing and and the reason is just probably you understand this as well is growing up you know growing up in australia back then i had a lot of allergies so i was mouth breathing after a certain age a lot and I, I there was a distinct period of my life as a kid where i went from this really confident kid really confident really playful kind of kid to really anxious and shy and secure and looking back in hindsight i think that's when i started mouth breathing okay i went from nasal breathing to mouth breathing yeah and i just always had this low not even low this level of anxiety uh through my childhood and up you know not even way past my childhood all the way up to you know uh university and past university uh you know past my first job and stuff and and um yeah it's like everything kind of, kind of came full circle when i realized that all these issues that i've had in my life started because of of not breathing optimally and everything's yeah. kind of makes sense. and um i want to be able to give the same tools back to these kids because I, 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 I think it's important yeah, yeah. important that i think preteen early teens is a very crucial area for majority of people to understand that they can regulate their emotions because that's the, there's a period where emotions all of a sudden because the hormones go all over the place right so obviously as a young young child you need to learn to how to regulate yourself but as a teenager i think it's important growing through those phases and to take that into adulthood that you can actually you've got this thing here that you can use to to calm yourself, you know, to relax yourself, to to go introspective and actually get a, just take a moment of break, just to say, "Hey, am I am I okay? What's going on?" And to start just develop those questions. I think that's going to be uh, crucial going forward, especially with the way the world has gone, where it's it's so fast, things are changing so rapidly. Uh, kids have access to so much information that is. It's great in one way for education and learning and, you know, they're smart and they can use technology, but it also is a, you know, it's an issue in terms of like they can see everything that's going on in the world and they can be, they can judge themselves to people all over the world and 7 billion people and they can judge themselves to half of them through the internet. It's a wild ride that teenagers are going through. And I think uh, it's, it's valuable for them to understand their body and their mm. physiology. Yeah, I think we we definitely, at least me anyway, I was I was born in the 80s. So I kind of I was on that cusp of that analog and digital kind mm -hmm. of uh side. And um yeah, it's like it's so different now. And I can't really imagine what it's like growing up in like growing up a kid in today's age. Like I think it was Navala was saying, like, you know, like at least my era growing up, like you it was hard, it was you know, you wanted to go out and find more information, you know. Your information source was limited. But now as a kid, like 
it's over. It's like you have everything. And it's, it's, it's learning to pick and, and pick and choose and be selective with what information you do let in. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the opposite now. It's over, it's kind of overstimulus, over just, just everything in abundance. And definitely if you don't have your bearings, or you don't have your fundamentals, then you can easily be kind of, you know, taken all over the place. And, you know, I've definitely been in that space as well. Like just like, even just now with, with everything's going on with the pandemic, you look at social media and, you know, the algorithms and stuff, you know, it feeds you what you look at. It feeds you what you want to see. Mm-hmm. And it just really polarizes. It, it, it puts people into their, into their echo chambers and, 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 you know, filter bubbles. And, and you could have like, you know, a friend or neighbor or whatever that, you know, you live in the right, you live in the same area, you do go to the same job and stuff, but have a completely different mindset and completely different perception of how the world is based off what the algorithm is showing you in yeah. Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, and it's, it's, you know, there's just so much divine elements. Yes. It's just, it's just causing more and more. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot what the actual point was. <laughs> um, so you said that you, you left, um, you know, obviously you left Hong Kong. Was that like a, an all of a sudden out of the nowhere thing? Because I think I was chatting on, we're sending a message to you on, on social media, wanting to have a chat with you uh, on this podcast. And you said, I'm, I'm going to Europe. And then all of a sudden, like you had to put a message out to people to say that you were, you were leaving Hong Kong. And um, was that just like a spur of the moment called to adventure to go over to, to, to do the breathwork mastery? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was I, I had um, trained with Casper just before the pandemic started, like okay. I think in the beginning of twenty twenty. So I already trained with Casper, and um, yeah, I mean, this was this was there available, and something in me told me just to go, even though you know the, there's so much the travel restrictions, so pretty, it's pretty crazy, and and everything like that, and but just something told me just to go, and okay. and I just went, and um, I didn't. How, really, was, how I mean, was it? I I always. It was it was amazing. Like it's it's amazing because uh, do you know much about Casper? I don't. I I follow him on social media. I follow him for a little while. I've seen he's doing his uh, he's been doing his classes, and it looks like the sort of classes that are uh, are really good for bringing a group together to have an experience as a group um, to connect with people as well as learn skills. Like it looks promising. Yeah, hundred percent. Casper is 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 amazing. Um, he was the he was, I think, one of the main guys of Wim Hof. Like he was one of the first guys with a science background with Wim Hof. And once Wim found that out, he basically got Casper to teach all the instructors. So Casper, I think, trained like probably the bulk of the majority of instructor, Wim Hof instructors for the first several years at least. So um, leading all the expeditions and just guiding thousands and thousands of people. And um, But, yeah, when I started learning from him, he just – it's the kind of style that he teaches and how, how he is as a person. It really resonates with me. I'm very similar in a certain way. Um, he has that, you know, on the surface, it has that kind of science kind of side, that practical kind of side to him. But then when you get to know me in person, he's, uh, he's a very spiritual kind of guy. He's very, um, you know, he's very on that side of things. So is it kind of a balance of both sides, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I really like about him. But um, in terms of his knowledge, in terms of what he knows about breath work, He's definitely up there with, with, with the best for sure. You know, with um, you know, with Dr. Glisser and Brian McKenzie, he's definitely up there with those with those yeah. guys for sure. Um, but in terms of him as a person, I guess when you choose a teacher these days, like for me anyway, like I don't pick an 
based just on the credentials, but on them themselves, like how I feel towards the person and do I resonate with them. And um, yeah, like just I trained with Casper a couple of years ago and just seeing in these last two years, he, he himself has grown a lot. And it's just amazing. It's just inspiring to have someone that, you know, you're following and teacher that you're learning from that is, doesn't stop evolving himself and keeps getting, you know, getting better and better and better. And um, it's when I, two years ago, when I learned from him, it was very like kind of practical stuff. Um, this time going back, it's like you said, exactly like what you said. It was much more kind of ceremonial. It was much more kind of like a um, kind of like a setting of like an ayahuasca ceremony, you know, like mm-hmm. where people would go there. Like we were still learning all this stuff about all the science about breathing and stuff, but a lot of it was personal growth as well. Yeah, A lot of it was just, you know, because for me personally, like as a coach, it's a lot of the things you that help you become a good coach. It, a lot of it, I find it's not the data. It's not like, it's not all the, the books and stuff, but it's, it's a lot of other things, you know, how you can relate to people, you know, how you feel your energy, you know, like your message and all those kind of things. And, and that's the kind of side that I really want to learn from, from Casper is that side of it. And also like the business side of it too, you know, there's yep. doing breath work. You, you obviously, you know, you want to be able to have it as a sustainable source of income. So you can, you can do this kind of mission of yours or this passion of yours without having to worry about those kind of things. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a full spectrum kind of thing that Casper provides. And yeah, highly recommended. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of Casper. That's amazing. What, what would you say that your couple of your key takeaways were from, from, from that event? Uh, the key takeaways um, were really more personal things. It was actually very similar to the Wim Hof, first trip Wim Hof, where uh, my biggest lessons were more about myself. And yeah. it was, it was actually the same lesson, but it was just kind of a bit further, like a bit more evolved. But the first lesson, the main lesson I learned from the first Wim Hof retreat was like that I am the person standing in my own way. Like there's no one else. It's just me. And this retreat with Casper, it kind of brought it back full circle with that. It just reminded me again that all the fear and all the insecurities and all those things that resistance and things are holding myself back in life. That's me. You know, there's no one else to blame. It's purely my responsibility. Um, and just to kind of snap out of that victim mindset, that victim mentality, and just really take responsibility for your life. And, you know, and I don't care about what people think, you know, if you know what you're doing, if you believe what you're doing is right and it's you know hurting anyone, just, just go for it and just do it, you know. And that's something I'm still learning. You know, it's definitely uh, something I still a work in progress for me. I think it's a continual work. Uh, I don't think there's ever a point where even people like Tony Robbins, I don't think it ever gets to a point where it's just like, oh, I've got to get on a stage in front of 15,000 people. Like uh, it's still going to be some, but it's just, it's that training and the knuckling down and the grinding of, of the mindset to go, you're going to do it regardless anyway, because it's, it's, it's your purpose or it's your, um, you know, it's your mission or whatever you want to call call it if you, you, know, you want to give it your gift or whatever it's it's once you don't make it about you i had a uh, a really interesting conversation with my friends maybe about a month ago and i was like look i'm i'm, I'm wanting to find more clients that i can help um now i want to the sort of people that i want to be working with is people who do want to be at the top of their game they want you know, highly stressed individuals that maybe i can just teach them some small techniques that can 
help lower their stress levels so they're a bit more focused and have more clarity, more energy. But like, where can I actively find those people? And he was like, they're all on LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, but how would you start a conversation on LinkedIn and you know explain what you're going to do and stuff like that? And it's like, I just concerned that they're going to be like, who's this guy? And his answer was really intriguing because it wasn't like, oh, you've just got to do it. He just went, why are you so selfish? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why is it about you? I was like, why is it about how you feel and not you looking at the, what you can do for them? It's like you stepping up and, and stepping over that fear is not, is, is not, it's not about you. It's not, it's not about your, like, how you feel. It's about, I thought it was about how they feel and making them better. It's like, all you're doing is making it about you again. I was like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's very self-centered to not be able to start a conversation with someone because of how you feel when mm. you know that you, when you know that you can help them. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Isn't it? You know? Isn't it your duty or your responsibility to make that conversation with that person? Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I definitely, uh, I've been definitely more aware of that of that state. And you know, I go through cycles of you know good like ups and downs in my mood and my state and stuff. And you know, what I, what I notice is when I'm going through like a lower period, um, like energetically, is usually when I'm too in my own head. And I'm too focused on myself. And like I, I have the same kind of mindset sometimes where I'm thinking like, oh, what, what are they going to think about me? You know, that kind of seeking approval kind of thing. And um, and then it just kind of like, it just spirals, you know, and you stress yourself out more and more and more. And you, you make up even more of these stories and, and this and that. And you start to question your life and everything. And um, But yeah, like <laughs> when, when you make your, I think when you focus on the mission and what you're able to provide and add value to other people's lives and and the world, then yeah, when you have something that's greater than your own ego, greater than yourself, um, I find that that's that's the way to go. In in at least in what we're doing, this I find that yeah, every time I think about me and I focus on myself, I get I start to get really insecure, and um, I start to yeah, the stories start to play in my head, and it's yeah, it's it's not a not shift good. your focus shift your focus away yeah. from you onto the result you want to get for someone else or the result you want to get in general um exactly, cool. so, yeah. so, so a couple more questions before we finish up um i guess number one is what's next for you i was on your website earlier and it said uh, coming soon on the one-to-one uh, coaching i don't know i don't know how long that's been there for but uh yeah what, what's, what's not that very up to date <laughs> yeah what's 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 up, what's next for you um i actually um i i can't decide yesterday um that i'm going to do this because i as i said i had really no clue what i was going to do or whether i'm going to stay in australia or just kind of wait you know and see what happens with hong kong and i don't want to be in that place where i have what i'm just really not sure what's going on so um, i've always want to go to india go to like an ashram and just learn under like a master like a yogi master or a monk or something and I think that's what I'm going to do. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. India, and I checked, I checked everything. India is open right now for yeah. travel, um, no restrictions. So, I think for me, that feels right. That feels like the next step for me. And um, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to India and see where that takes me. I'm super excited for you. That's going to be one hell of a journey. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is. I have no expectations, but uh, it's just something in my gut that, or my heart, is kind of pulling me towards that. And um, like we talked about before, just kind of just follow it, you know, just go with the flow. Go with it. Nice, cool. Okay, so final question: um, What advice would you give to anyone that's starting out on their breathwork journey? As a coach, or as just anyone. You can choose as, a, as if, if someone is getting into breath work to, uh, you know, I guess, experience the, the positives of it. So if you were, you were the coach and they were getting, getting into breath work as they were starting their journey. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, firstly, like do it, try it. Breathing is, you know, it, it is literally the, the remote control to our state. You know, it's something that um, before you kind of really understand what breathwork is, before you really kind of try it yourself, you don't understand how much control and power that you have over your own internal state, that you're not, you know, you don't just helpless to those states of uh, like, uh, you know, there's lowest, there's low states or states of depression or states of anxiety and stuff. And there are tools out there that you can use to regulate your own state. And one of the best tools I've found, one of the fastest tools I've found and most powerful is the breath. And just based off that alone and the change that I've seen in myself and other people, it's it's really like a, it's there's nothing to lose. It's breathing, you know, is it's free. Just try it. You know, if it doesn't quite if it doesn't quite click with you, it doesn't quite work, then for you, then you know, at least you tried it. But you know, just try it. It's yeah, absolutely game changer. It is. It's uh, it's free, and once you learn through your own experience, it's a tool you then have for your life, for going through the rest of your life to change your state, which is amazing. All right, uh, thank you very much, Brian. I've now it's been good to have a chat with you and, and uh, to delve a bit deeper into getting to know you. Uh, so, so final question: If people just want to follow you, reach out to you to hear more of what you what you're doing, and follow your journey over to to India, how can they how can they contact you? Uh, probably by email or Instagram. So it's Primal Breathwork, uh, just one one word, or email is brian at primalbw.com. So right now I'm not really teaching too much classes when I'm kind of traveling and learning, but uh, I am still doing like one-on-one clients. So I'm still open to that. I'm still doing that with my clients in Hong Kong and in Asia and stuff. So right now, yeah, hopefully I do end up going to India and uh, that will be definitely an interesting, uh, interesting journey. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Martin. Have a great day, guys.